Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest is Kevin Holden. Uh, head of synthetic biology at Synthigo. Kevin, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Richard? Nice to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. So tell me about uh, Synthigo. What do you guys do? Um, yeah, so you know we're a, um, a, a genome engineering solutions company. Um, uh, right now, we're we're really helping to enable scientists um, uh, essentially to get into the genome engineering game, um, but also scientists who are already doing genome engineering. Um, we're really helping to enable uh, their research as well. So it's kind of the um, big overview of what we do as a company. Um, but uh, we're really, you know, our background is uh, more of an engineering company, and we've kind of um, uh, entered this space where we're applying uh, engineering principles to how people do uh, biology, specifically synthetic biology. Yeah, when you said uh, you know, engineering a genome, that's the whole kit and caboodle of, uh, of all the genes. I mean, it, most people, it seems like they're focused very narrowly on one condition one small subset of a whole genome? Um, yeah, you know, so when I say we're a, we're a genome engineering solutions company, so essentially we're helping people who are either working on, you know, small um, specific genes uh, or small subsets of genes or people who want to do uh, multiple iterations of uh, gene editing. Hmm. Okay. So what, how do you assist? What, uh, what are some projects that you've uh, helped and what kind of tools have you developed to help companies work on this stuff? Yeah, so um, essentially what we've done as a company is we've built out a, an automated platform um, to uh, essentially provide materials that are, that are needed to do gene editing, specifically the CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing technology. Um, mm. And so uh, what this means is we've built a hardware platform um, that allows us to synthesize um, pieces of RNA that are utilized to guide uh, the CRISPR technology to a specific place on the genome um, in order to make an edit. Um, and so uh, we've not only enabled that technology, but we've used that as a platform to build um, an automated platform technology that allows us to actually also do the gene editing ourselves internally. Um, and uh, what this has enabled us to do is essentially skip um, a step where scientists have to spend a lot of time doing method development and um, understanding how to optimize uh, gene editing in their particular cell type. So we can actually do that step for them and, and actually provide um, gene edited cells directly to them. So, um, yeah, so it's it's really, um, you know, we're really helping to enable people both in um, the gene therapy spaces where people are actually trying to model a specific disease by uh, creating a, a set of mutations um, in, in, in cells or in a cell line. Um, and um, or directly um, helping uh, provide materials to help people do edits inside of um, immune cells that can that can help cure diseases. Um, any particular diseases that are uh, people are hot on the trail of or making progress with? You know, I heard like, for instance, cystic fibrosis. Fibrosis appears to be just one uh, gene that's you know the the bit is flipped or it's it's out of place. Are there any diseases where it looks like? Just one small change will make a big difference, or they're the most amenable to this manipulation. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I think um, any of the diseases that are what we call monogenic, where um, essentially it's just a single gene um, and even a, a single gene mutation, 
um, that, that it's causing the disease. Um, those are kind of sort of the low hanging fruit when it comes to new gene therapies. Um, so yeah, you know, we're, we're working with, uh, quite a few groups that are, that are focused on these. Um, uh, an example would be the sickle cell anemia, um, and some of the he- hemoglobin, uh, pathologies. Um, so in this particular case, this is caused by a single mutation within the hemoglobin gene. Um, and so researchers are finding they can use the CRISPR-Cas9 technology to correct this. Um, and the way that this is done is typically, um, for this type of therapy, um, cells are extracted from a patient in a very painless type of way through just through the blood. Um, these cells are edited um, out, outside of the body, uh, what we call in vitro in the laboratory. Um, and then they're uh, grown up, expanded, tested to make sure that they're, they're safe um, and they have to correct edits. Um, and then ex vivo uh, transplanted back into a patient to cure the disease. So we'll be seeing uh, clinical trials of, of things like this start this year. Um, and so, you know, some of the some of the groups that we provided materials for are, um, are working in these uh, disease areas. Well, so how I understand, I guess, I guess because I'm just not into the field very much, but um, how would you help a particular individual that has cystic fibrosis, for instance, or sickle cell anemia? Would I guess it would have to be done before they're even born, or can they be uh, injected with something? Uh, that affects their genes while they're, you know, when they're 30 years old, let's say, and changes them. They had to actually take action. Yeah, let me clarify that a little bit. So first of all, I should say that, like, you know, as Syntego as a company, we're providing solutions and materials for people either studying these diseases or um, materials that people who actually want to do the editing. So medical facilities, doctors, um, researchers. So we we're not doing gene therapy ourselves as a company. Okay, so we're providing materials that can en- enable people to do this, um, and then we're also providing mm-hmm. tools that can ha- help people study diseases and find new cures through discovering new drugs. Going back to your question. Um, the way that, uh, for example, the, the example I gave about sickle cell anemia, um, once you were to edit um, uh, cells that come from a patient um, in the laboratory and you correct um, the mutation um, in, in the small subset of population uh, of cells, stem cells, you would expand those stem cells and then you would inject them back into the patient. And what they would do is they would actually form a niche inside the bone marrow, for example, in sickle cell anemia. Um, of the patient, and they would naturally grow there and expand because they're the patient's own cells, and they would grow and expand, and they would start to produce normal, healthy cells without the mutation, so with the corrected uh, gene, and that's how you would cure the disease. Oh, okay. And they, they what? They preferentially take over for the existing cells, or is there a battle between the ones that are uh, defective versus the ones that that you culture and put in? Not you, but you know, get cultured and put in stem cells. Um. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a battle. I just think it's a numbers game. Uh, as long as you have a certain percentage of, of cells without the mutation, then you're able to cure most of the um, uh, the symptoms of the disease. What about other um, other diseases that may not be localized? Yeah, so um, uh, another example of this is the, the CAR-T um, therapy. So, um, you know, we're working with quite a few um, groups that are utilizing this technology where um, essentially, T cells, um, immune cells, are taken from um, a donor, um, and essentially gene edited in order to target a particular cancer in, in a patient. Um, so these can be sent to anywhere in the body uh, once they're injected back into uh, to the patient. It doesn't have to be a, to a localized place, but it can be. So um, you know, so the, these are going to be um, used to cure. Uh, many types of cancers in the future, I would imagine, uh, whether they're things like really? uh, lymph- lymphomas or um, uh, and any kind of uh, uh, tumor. Yeah. Why would it? Why would it? Uh, 
destroy a tumor. So you, are you taking the actual cancerous cells and turning them back into stem cells, and are they destroying the existing cancer cells, or what's the mechanism by, what, by which it would help? No, not at all. So um, typically in that type of scenario, um, you have to remember that every day our immune systems are actually destroying uh, tumor cells. We just don't know it. And so the immune system is, is definitely capable of destroying cancer cells. What happens, though, is the cancer cells um, or tumors, for example, mostly identify within the body as self. And so, um, but they do have unique um, epitopes or antigens, proteins on the surface um, that distinguish them and make them uniquely cancer. Um, so you can target those. So if you can basically prime someone's immune system to target and destroy those cancers, it's more than capable of doing that. Oh, interesting. So again, what's the mechanism? You, uh, you're, you're creating, you're turning certain cells back into stem cells, I guess, what, these like pluripotent stem cells, and then they're looking um, for the specific antigens? Um, for the no, that's um, for the sickle cell treatments and the, the treatments that, that involve um, diseases of the blood, where you're basically trying to replace a healthy blood population, uh, white blood cells, for example, or red blood cells. Um, those would be used uh, by gene editing stem cells. Uh, gene editing uh, T cells, immune cells, does not require stem cells. You can actually just edit um, immune cells and then put those back into the patient. Oh, okay, okay. And now they're, they're like attack dogs. They're trained to look for this certain antigen and attack it. Yeah, something like that. Well, I'm sorry, I don't have the greatest analogies for it. But uh, can, can you say anything about the mechanism by which you would uh, alter a T cell? You're just certain, are you turning on and off or snipping certain um, genes or changing how they're expressed in the T cell and that changes its function? Um, in that particular case, in the case of the T cells, um, usually you would use gene editing to do a couple of things. One is you would actually... Um, uh, make them what we call allergenic, where um, the T cell is now um, not specific to a certain person. So you could actually take T cells from a healthy donor, not necessarily a cancer donor. Um, so you would make them allergenic, so they're no longer um, cross reactivity, have cross reactivity between patients. Um, and then uh, beside that, you would also program them with what's called a CAR or a chimeric antigen receptor, which is um, essentially one you've identified from um, a cancer cell population and you've programmed um, that T cell to recognize uh, that particular antigen using uh, uh, basically gene editing. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like there's uh, tons and tons of applications of these technologies. It's amazing. Yeah, definitely. So I, I are, really encourage you, to re encourage you to read up on the CAR T therapies. They're, they're quite, quite, quite amazing. How do you spell the CAR T therapy? Is it like C-A-R-T or how is it spelled? That's yeah, that's correct, C-R-T. And what does it stand for? Chimeric antigen receptor. Mm, okay. Okay, gotcha. Very good. So what are uh, what do you see as some of the most critical tools that you've developed, and which ones are still being developed that you think are going to be necessary to, you know, to be able to do whatever you want to do with genes? Um, I'd say from our company's perspective, um, there, you know, definitely uh, being able to um, generate the materials that can guide uh, CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing technology. That that was a really critical um, critical step in, in helping to uh, basically push um, uh, this this research arena um, gene therapy along. Um, also, um, what we've done as a company by um, essentially um, enabling scientists to obtain gene edited cells so they can use to study diseases. Um, this is only going to um, increase um, how fast that we can we can generate new therapies um, and understand diseases. Um, 
again, um, there are quite a lot of people that are already doing gene editing and many people, more people that want to use this technology as a tool to help them understand how they study the disease that they study. Um, and uh, one of the solutions that Syntego provides as a company is to um, essentially streamline that method development so scientists can spend less time um, uh, building the models that they need to study their disease and more time actually doing um, the research on that model. So where, where do you think the, uh, the savings will be because of your tools? Is it uh, a time saving? Is it because you don't go down blind alleys? Or, you know, can you give any specifics on how and why uh, your solutions help people? Um, I think it's really difficult to 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 make uh, to, to to really say specifics, but in general, um, I think that um, it's definitely a time saving. Um, it's definitely uh, saving, and it's it's not just time saving, but it's also it's also increasing bandwidth. So you know, maybe a research lab has enough hands in the lab and time to generate one or two models for the disease. But, you know, we've built this platform that allows us to do this in a high-throughput automated manner. So, you know, if they want to study more targets for a disease or they want to study more different gene knockout, more gene knockouts um, for their disease um, or variants in their disease, we can enable this to happen. So uh, because we can, we can effectively construct um, uh, gene-edited cells very efficiently, uh, much more efficiently than somebody doing it by hand one, one or two at a time, um, it, it not only is a time savings, but it's also a question of increasing bandwidth and, and application. Interesting. What, so what's on your, your roadmap for the next uh, couple of years? Any new tools coming online or new methods? You know, is AI going to be helping you to, uh, to make your tools more efficient? You know, what can you say about what's going on? Um, I, there's, there's a little bit I can say, but not too much. But I think what you'll see out of, out of us as a company is um, the continual, continuous streamlining of, of these technologies. Um, I think also what have come along as well is um, the implementation of more bioinformatics tools to help um, researchers not only uh, design the best places to do gene editing in a genome, but also um, to help them analyze um, the results of the gene editing in, in the most efficient ways as well. Um, and also to predict um, what, when you make uh, edits in a genome, what outcomes you're likely to get. And that's where you can kind of layer in um, algorithms and things like AI to help you understand that a bit better once you generate large sets of data um, that you can train models on. Hmm. Okay. Are there any uh, breakthrough technologies you know of, you know, similar to CRISPR-Cas9 that are going to be, you know, going to be coming center stage with gene editing? Or is that kind of enough for now and that's, that's plenty for the toolbox? Um, I mean, I, I think we'll see the um, once you know now that CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing has, has come out. Um, I think we'll see we'll start to see other uh, uh, new novel um, gene editing applications as well. Um, not just in terms of like um, the types of therapies or um, things like diagnostics you could you could use this technology for. That's going to be a big deal in the future. Um, but um, I think you'll also see um, you know more more and more applications. So. Um, you know, we're, we talked only today about um, the application of gene editing to human gene therapies, but probably the place that this technology and technologies like it are going to have the biggest impact are in the, the sphere of agriculture and how we can actually breed uh, plants um, more effectively to um, feed the, the world, basically, and, and make crops uh, resistant to disease or, and droughts, um, which are important given, given that you know, uh, population is always increasing and uh, temperature and, and weather is always changing. Um, so, hmm. um, yeah, I think you're going to see more of those types of applications as well. Um, 
you know, maybe just a minute or two about uh, some of those applications. What do you think, are, what are the focuses that you've seen? Is it, uh, you know, I've heard, for instance, that rice, you know, obviously is a staple for a big part of the world. Is there a big focus on changing rice so that it, uh, you know, it's more nutritious or it has higher yields or, or is the focus somewhere else that you've seen in agriculture? Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not an agriculture biologist, but um, <laughs> uh, having talked to some of the groups that we've worked with um, and the people we know in this space, um, rice is definitely uh, something that people will look at. Um, uh, I think beyond that, you know, you can think about um, um, also uh, th there was a recent article that came out talking about um, how the cacao plant, so cocoa um, for chocolate, mm. um, is particularly susceptible to certain diseases. Um, and so... Um, you know, there, there are many examples in, in agricultural um, history. Um, you can go back and look at the papaya plant. Um, essentially, all papayas are made using uh, gene-edited technology um, at, at some point because um, they they were um, essentially um, the papaya plant was close to close to probable extinction unless we did some kind of uh, gene editing to save it, some advanced breeding to save it. So. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, there are, there's a lot of different applications besides um, just the rice. Uh, wheat is another one. Um, soybeans. Um, there's really a lot of places you can go. Um, and with the plants, it's a little bit different because if you end up making undesirable changes to the genome, it's very easy to breathe them out later. Hmm. Any, any worries about making, um, again, unintended uh, creatures that uh, you know, would cause problems or you think you'll see the problems early enough, you'll see the gene expression, and we can head off problems before stuff gets into production? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think there are very easy ways nowadays to understand what kind of gene edits you've done. Uh, first, to sequence genomes. Um, and so I, I think, you know, we'll, we'll just leave that to the realm of science fiction and fantasy. That's, that's for the movies. Gotcha. Okay. Well, very good. Well, what's the best way for our listeners to get more uh, information and, uh, you know, to contact the company if they're interested? Yeah, you know, I definitely, um, I check out our website. Um, we we have a great blog that we update um, almost daily uh, with lots of news. You can follow us on Twitter um, as well. Um, we're pretty active on social media. Um, but I think in general, to learn more about the company, it's a good idea to, um, to go online, uh, check out our website, look at our blog, um, and, you know, we have a really informative website that can help you understand what kind of solutions that we, we help to provide scientists. Okay, well, very good. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, and uh, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Anytime. Appreciate it. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.